My name is Elizabeth, and I'm on staff here at Martha Bowman. And uh, I'm a little rattled. I'm going to share that with you. It's funny, because as we were singing this song, and um, I'm standing over there, and I keep thinking it's my turn to come up, and I keep making the weird, like, back and forth. And then the chorus hits, and about two or three months ago, I was in the car with my little boys. Um, The last time I shared with you, I I shared how great it is um, for car seats, like how great it is to have them strapped in, (laughs) and they can't go anywhere. So we were in the car, and they're strapped into the car seat, and this song was playing. And Max, my four-year-old, he's like, Mom, he's like, what does that mean, he can move a mountain? And it was funny because we were heading to Indiana, where I'm from, and we were in Chattanooga, which is hilly. And I said, well, look over there. You see that? He said, yeah. I said, well, the Bible says that God could move that. He was like, wow, God's a superhero. And then he just began this huge thing of, I want to see that. You think we could see that? You think, you think I could see God move a mountain? And so I'm standing over there, and this song is playing, and, and I'm just kind of boohooing a little bit about this moment where my sweet four-year-old communicated to me the gospel of believing and and loving a God so much and having the boldness to say, I want to see that mountain moved. I don't know. It just, anyway, so I'm up here and a little weepy and whatnot. So let's get started. Um, as, As I was preparing for this morning, I, you know, and I'm standing in the back over there, uh, I look over and I see this hole on this side of our congregation. And, and this is not a part of my message at all, but, but I want to start by sharing with you something really cool that's happening right now. We have about 30 of our middle school and high school youth and leaders who are away at winter retreat. And uh, they are holed up at this little campground up in Covington, Georgia. They chose to, uh, on a holiday weekend, to leave their schedules, leave their homes, do whatever, and go and learn about Jesus figure out how to love him better, figure out how to be in community more. And, you know, as I was standing back there and I looked, I was like, man, what, where, where are all the people that sit there? Um, just my spirit was moved to just pray for them. And, you know, as I shared with you my little story of, of my four-year-old, and, and when I was first hired here 10 years ago, thank you, Cindy Martin, she hired me. She was on my hiring committee. That's right. Um, I was hired as a youth minister. And, you know, it's funny because I look out and I see some of you who were my youth at that point, and now you're like grown-ups and, and you have careers and you're adults. And, and then I think about this whole thing where our kids, you know, our youth are at this retreat. And as I'm standing back there, I just felt like God was like, pray that they win. Like, I need our youth to win. As the mom of little kids, these youth are someday going to be pouring into the lives of my children, Right? So I need these youth to win. These youth are going to be the ones that are standing here someday. These youth are going to be the ones with the guitar and the drums. They're going to be the ones leading our community. I need our youth to win today. So I'm just going to take a real quick second. This is not a part of my sermon at all, and I'm just going to pray for them. I'm going to pray that whatever happened in their lives this weekend, that they come home and that it stays real for them because they face a lot of hard stuff. And so we're just going to take a minute, we're going to say, God, seal the deal, and then we're going to get on with all the other stuff. So let's just take a quick second. Father God, there is a room of people here, and we are are coming before you petitioning for the lives and futures of our young people today. God, we need them to win. We need them to keep choosing you. 
Uh, God, they are faced with a lot of things that I don't even know about. I don't even know the apps and the chats and the this and the that. I don't know that stuff, God, but I know that you are good and that you are faithful and that you have a plan and a promise for their life. And I pray that you would help us as your church to be faithful, to lift these young people up to you, to pray for them, to champion with them, to support them and love them, even if we might not know the language or know how to do it, just to show them that we care. Because God, you care. So we just thank you. Thank you for the leaders who have taken time off of their life to go and pour into these young people. We just love you, Lord. Amen. So as we get, this is the real part now. Um, I have notes for this part. As we get into this series back on track, we are in week three um, this January. And I don't know about you, uh, if there's anybody brave enough, bold enough to share that week three, you maybe have already fallen off bandwagon a little bit. Um, maybe not, and that is awesome. Um, you know, but, but yeah, like it's week three and you've made a plan, you, you've set your, your plan in motion, but maybe something has popped up and you've just slipped a little bit. Now, the good news is this, it's week three, so you can, you know, get back on track, right? But, uh, you know, maybe your alarm didn't go off, you didn't get your reading plan done for the day, or, you know, no fault of your own, work ran late, you didn't make it to the gym, maybe you were just binge watching Netflix and you just didn't go work out, whatever, I don't know, maybe, maybe maybe you work here at Martha Bowman and you have these incredible, awesome folks who bring in boxes and tins and bags of cookies and brownies and Chex Mix and all the lovely things, never a vegetable tray, mind you, Never carrots and hummus, no. And then and they bring this these delicious treats in and they leave them in the staff workroom. And the staff workroom is where the copy machine is and the fax machine is and the coffee. All the things are in the staff workroom. I go to the staff workroom 16 times a day here at Martha Bowman. And the first 15 times, I'm good, right? I resist temptation. And then the 16th time when I go in there, and the joker that was there before me has that Wilson Bakery box that they propped open, right? Yeah, no, I, I lose every time on the Wilson Bakery box. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I have, I'll be honest. I fell off the bandwagon a few times. Um, my reading plan, I am not on the day I'm supposed to be, but I'm still doing it. Um, and the reason I start here today, the reason I start with the, the Debbie Downer side of back on track is this. Um, Some folks say it's just willpower. Liz, you just gotta be stronger. Resist temptation. Have a better plan. Um, You know, if we look on the internet, there's about a jillion, you know, how to do anything in five easy steps. So Liz, you just, you need to get yourself together. But for me, what I think it boils down to when we talk about being back on track is people. For me, I believe that without community, without accountability, without people that see you and know you, that it is going to be near impossible and definitely not as fun to accomplish the goals that God has set before us. Community matters. Community is important. And it's not just something that I think we read about it in Scripture, right? It's one of the big two. Matthew 22 says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, all your strength. And then what is the second? Love your neighbor. 
The greatest commandment is to love God with all that you are. And then the number two one is to love your neighbor. Be a part of community. Connecting is necessary and needed and just God's plan. And so today as I talk about community, getting back on track relationally in 2019, there are three parts that I want to hit on. Number one, um, what do I need to make up my community? Who, who are the sorts of people I need to surround myself with? The second part is this. Am I providing community and connection to those around me? And then the third part are some practical steps for us all just to do better at it, right? Just some, some ways that we can be aware of. So as we get started, um, we're going to start with that first part. What do I need to make up my community? Who are the folks that I need to surround me? And there are three types of that. I know it sounds a lot, three and three, but there are, there are three things I want to look at. I want to look at the arm holders today. I want to look at the Nathans today. And then we're going to talk about the partiers today. Those are the three things, the three types of people we need to surround ourselves with. So we're going to start quick with the arm holders. There's this passage in Exodus. It's Exodus 17. I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time. And what that means is I'm just going to tell you the Bible story in my own words. So it's not straight from Scripture. At this part of the story, the Israelites have been freed from Egypt. Or, or they've, they've yeah, freed, left, escaped. Moses led them. And they are wandering in the, des- the desert. The, the Red Sea has been split. They've complained to Moses. The water has come from the rock. And where we pick up here in Exodus, they are about to enter into their first battle. Now, the Amalekites is who they're going up against. And here, actually, verse 8, it says this. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Now, the Amalekites are nomadic raiders. How intimidating does that sound, right? Like, these guys, they live and thrive in the wilderness. And remember, they are up against the Israelites who are recently, have recently left Egypt. They had been in slavery, so they're out in the wilderness now, this, I don't know how great the Israelites were at, at warring and soldiering at this point, but this is the first battle they've encountered in the wilderness. And, and the reputation of the Amalekites is fierce. And this is how the story goes. Moses goes to, to Joshua, his commander of his army. He said, Joshua, I want you to handpick a few men, and I want you to go fight the Amalekites. And then me and, and Aaron and her. Now, Aaron and her were the companions of Moses. They were his wise counsel. He said, the three of us, we're going to go stand on a hill in the distance, and we're going to watch the battle. I'm sure Joshua was like, yeah, great, okay, right? I'll go pick the men. And so the next day, they go into battle, and Moses and Aaron and her, they go up on the hill, and they watch. And Scripture tells us this, that as long as Moses' hands are up, the Israelites are winning. But the second he starts to lower his hands, what happens? The Amalekites have the upper hand. So throughout this day of warring, his hands are up, they win. He starts to lower them, and they lose. Now, there's no pressure on Moses, obviously, right? And as the story continues, it says throughout the course of the day, obviously Moses becomes weary. He becomes exhausted, I mean, just the, the physical toll of keeping your hands up for that long, but also just the spiritual and the emotional, just the, the weariness of Moses. And the story, the story goes on to tell us that Aaron and her, they 
shove this boulder over to Moses so that he can sit. And then they position themselves behind him, and guess what they do? They raise his hands. They hold his hands up because he was too weak. He was too weary to keep them up himself. Um, now, there are a lot of commentaries and interpretations as to what that could mean, right? Maybe, maybe the soldiers, they, they look and they see Moses and he's lowering his hands and so it casts fear in them. They start to doubt and that's why the Amalekites have, I don't know. I don't know all that stuff. I'm not that uh, knowledgeable or up on my history. What I do know is what the Bible says and it says that if his hands were down, they lost and if his hands were up, then they had victory. So, when we find out, you know, we, we ask ourselves that. So the question is, in your life, who is your Aaron and her? When you are too weak to raise them, who's standing behind you raising them? Now, some of you hear this and you're like, I'm not quite sure what you're talking about, this whole battle thing. Um, you know, there are seasons in our life, and, and some of you might be in the season, I call it the season of glitter and unicorns. Everything's great. That's awesome. You know, you just got a promotion at work, your marriage is strong, your finances are in track, you're not weak like me, and you've actually, you know, kept your goals, you're going to the gym, you're doing your plan, you're whatever it is, you're in this awesome season, and that is incredible. That is something we give God the glory for. But the thing is, battles will happen, right? It's not a if, it's a when. And so when the battle of your life is raging, when your marriage is hanging on by a thread, when your finances have tanked and you don't know how you're going to make it, when your kid is sick and you can't fix him, who are your arm holders? Who is your Aaron and your her? We need arm holders. And here's the thing with the arm holders. It's not just so you can look and be like, hey, Moses, he kept his arms up. Good job. No, no, no. There were people dependent on his hands staying up. The Israelites needed Moses. Moses, don't, don't let him go. Don't let him down, Moses. There were people dependent on, on those arm holders. And just like us, we have people dependent on us keeping our eyes and our focus and our arms up for Jesus. Our kids, our spouses, our parents. We need arm holders. Number two, we need Nathans. Now, uh, there's this very powerful passage in Scripture. Um, I'm a huge fan of King David. Um, he was awesome and ridiculous and just, he loved Jesus and he was also just a screwball. Like, I just love King David. And there's this awesome passage here in scripture at 2 Samuel. Um, and where we're going to pick up, uh, we have King David. This is chapter 12. King David, he's king over Israel, the second king over Israel. Um, he has favor with God. He has favor with people. He has wealth. He has wives. He has, you know, he's just, he's, he's at a good season. He's in Jerusalem. I mean, he, he's, you know, had victory over all these enemies. He's doing good. But he's in this season of restlessness. He's discontented. He's unsatisfied. You know how you get sometimes, just, ugh. And that's where David finds himself in this story. And it is in this place that David makes a series of not wise choices. Some of you might be familiar with this story. Um, David, he sleeps with a woman. She gets pregnant. And not just a woman, mind you, another man's wife. She gets pregnant. Um, he tries to hide it, cover it up. That doesn't go well. So then he has her husband killed in battle and then just marries the woman. You know, a, a series of not great choices. 
And uh, we have Nathan who enters. Now, Nathan is a prophet over Israel. Nathan came on the scene um, not long after Samuel died in, in first, or first Samuel 25 is when we hear about that. But Samuel was the prophet who anointed David. And Nathan is a prophet who comes in after that. So King David is in the midst of his mess. And 2 Samuel 12, verse 1, it says this, The Lord sent Nathan to David. And Nathan goes on to tell David this story. And he says this, he said, King David, he said, there's a story and there is a rich man and there is a poor man in this story. Now the rich man has vast wealth, cattle, sheep, just vast amounts of, of wealth and prosperity. And there's a poor man. And this poor man has one single little ewe lamb. And he loves it and he's careful with it and he, he adores this lamb. Well, the rich man has company that comes to town. And instead of taking from his wealth and butchering a sheep for his, his guest, guess what he does? He goes to the poor man and he takes the poor man's single little ewe lamb and he butchers it for his company. And David is enraged. How dare this rich man have no have no pity on this poor man. He has all this wealth and all this, this vast spread before him and he, he takes this man's only single possession. He's enraged. And then Nathan looks to him and he says, verse seven, you are that man. You have everything, King David. God has given you everything. God has laid it all before you. And then scripture even says that God says, he said, if you asked for more, I would have given it to you. But instead, you have done evil in the eyes of the Lord, and then you tried to cover it up. Nathan didn't sugarcoat it. Well, you know, we all mess up sometimes. No, he didn't sugarcoat the truth he said to King David that day. He, he didn't downplay the sin. Well, it could have been worse. No, Nathan came before David, and he laid it all out, and it Here's the thing, it wasn't easy. It could have cost, I mean, the prophet, yes, he's a prophet of God, but he still had to go before the king. It could have cost Nathan his life to speak that frankly to King David. But Nathan's loyalty wasn't to a friend. It wasn't to a man. It was to the God they both served. His focus wasn't on offending somebody. His focus was on God's truth, on God's faithfulness, on obedience. Oh, how we need Nathans in our life. Number three, the person I want to talk about, these are the folks we need to surround ourselves with, the partiers. Now, I say that and some of you are like, Liz, you know you're in church, right? Yes. Yes, I do. And what I mean by that is this, um, you know, as we look through the gospel and the story of Jesus, I think Jesus knew about a party. He knew how to celebrate people. He knew how to champion and, and get excited with folks when victories happened in their life. Um, you know, all through scripture, he told parable after parable after parable of, of folks who threw a party. The father and the prodigal son, right? He came home, let's throw a party. The, the lost sheep, the lost coin, hey, I found it. That thing that was lost, let's party, let's celebrate. Um, we even hear about Zacchaeus, the wee one, right? The wee little man, Zacchaeus. He said, man, let's go to your house. Let's eat. Let's celebrate. Let's party. And it was at that party that Zacchaeus completely turned his life around. 
gave all of his money away to poor people. I mean, it was just awesome. We need folks to party with us, to celebrate with us. Folks who come beside us and say, hey, you got a promotion at work? Rock on. Hey, you, we, we had this celebration this week. One of our friends finally paid off student loans. That's a huge deal. We party. We celebrate with that. That's awesome. Victory. The people who come alongside you and say, okay, so maybe you're not where you need to end up, but you're a lot farther than where you were when you started. Let's celebrate God's goodness in that. We need folks to champion with us. Hey, my, my kid's coming around again. Let's celebrate. Hey, I finally made a phone call to an estranged parent. It was really hard. Let's celebrate. Hey, I finally asked out the girl I've been trying to get around to asking out for four months. Let's celebrate. Hey, cool, rock on. Let's, let's love each other and celebrate each other in the places that God is moving in us and bringing us to. We need arm holders. We need Nathans. We need partiers. Now, on to this next idea of community. It's not the me part, it's the them part. There's a scripture passage in 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Now, this is from the Message Paraphrase Bible, and it says this. We want to live well, but our foremost efforts should be to help others live well. What community and connection am I providing to those around me? You know, going back to that second greatest commandment, love my neighbor. It's about people. And, and here's the thing. I think what I love so much about this idea of community is, as a church, this is the, this is the one. We, we got to get the two things right. We got to get it right about God, right? He is the first and foremost. But number two, we've got to get people. Notice people, see people, love people. That is the heart of Jesus. We see it played out again and again in scripture. It's about community and connecting. How are you doing at providing community to those around you? And here's the other part. We live in a world where it's all about being known, right? Social media, how many followers do you have? Uh, how many friends do you have? I'll be honest and say this morning I checked. I have 1,151 Facebook friends. Ridiculous. I don't know them. They don't know me. But there's something about their life that I was curious enough about to whatever, get on Facebook, check out their pictures. We live in a world where it's all about being known. But do we truly know each other? And now here are some practical steps that, you know, as I was praying this week, Lord, what? What would you have us do? Because we, we can recognize the problem. Yeah, we should probably maybe get our community game on a little bit better, right? I've lived in my house for seven years. I don't, I don't know my neighbors very well. I'll be honest. I might know a few of them. I know who has the loud dogs. Um, I know who has an overabundance of cats. I know those neighbors. Um, but do I know my neighbors? Do they know me? We see each other in this room quite often, but do we know each other? So here are four practical steps that I think we can do to improve our neighbor game, to improve our, our community awareness. Number one, stop being neighborly and start being intentional. So it's not just about the polite handshake on a Sunday morning. It's remembering somebody's name. It's remembering when somebody says, hey, pray for me this week. I have, you know, a, a big meeting at work on Wednesday. Well, text them Wednesday evening and say, hey, how'd it go? Thinking about you. That's intentionality. 
You know, when, when somebody says, hey, they casually throw out a prayer concern, it's then remembering to go before the throne of God and pray for that prayer concern because it matters to them. So God wants it to matter to us. Number two step for us to be more on our community game. Stop protecting your schedule and be willing to be inconvenienced. All through scripture, we see Jesus being inconvenienced, right? He was going away to pray, and a crowd followed him. So what did he do? He stopped and just healed them all, says the Bible. He's going away, you know, he's going into the home of Jairus to heal the daughter, and what happens? A crowd stops him, and he, he's encountered this woman and the issue of blood. We read about it in scripture. He is inconvenienced time and time again, and what is the example he gives us? He stops. He talks to the people. He sees the people. He notices the community around him. Stop protecting your schedule and be willing to be inconvenienced. Number three, um, stop being surface level and be willing to be real with each other. We have this awesome word um, that we say often. How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Oh, I'm so fine. How's your marriage? Fine. It's funny. Sometimes when my friends hear me say, oh, fine, they're like, mm-hmm, yeah, right. What if we got beyond that and said, you know what, I'm not fine. I'm actually struggling. It's real. You know, my marriage, it's not great. It's been hard for a long time. Um, I've been hurt by a loved one, and I feel betrayed, and I don't know what to do about that. I don't know how to bring that before the Lord. I don't know how to be honest about God. God, I feel like you have turned your back on me. I don't know how to handle that. Are we willing to be real about those things? No, we're fine. God wants us to go to the next level with folks around us. And here's the last one, I think. And I think a lot of us hopefully do this. This is our heart here um, at Martha Bowman is be willing to connect with others. Put yourself out there. In your bulletins today, you, you have that little piece of paper. And it has groups and connection and community, Sunday school classes, Bible studies. If you don't see something that, that meets your needs, then Check in with me and say, hey, Liz, I don't see something that meets your needs. We'll see what we can do. Because we believe enough in community to say it matters. And here's the thing. Sometimes I think we can come up with excuses why. Like, oh, I don't want to pry into somebody's life. I don't, you know, oh, I, I don't, um, you know, I, I don't feel like I have the time or the schedule. I'm in this season. I, and, and that's okay to some extent. But at what part and at what time are you going to say, no, I need it to matter today? As, uh, as I was, you know, thinking about this morning and, and praying for this morning, um, there's this passage of scripture I'm about to share with you. It's in 1 Thessalonians. Um, but I was just scanning Facebook last night, and I came across this church. And they had this thing about um, getting out of rows and getting into circles. And the idea was, I, I don't want to just come to church on Sunday and sit in my row. I believe in the power of a circle, that it's about connecting and seeing and noticing those who are sitting across from me and not just those who are three seats over. We can't grow spiritually if we don't grow relationally. We can't understand the depth and, and the, the width of God's love for us if we're not willing to let people come in and stand beside us. If we're not willing to, to even consider raising our hands, right? 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 to 11, it says this, and we're going to close. It says, God didn't set us up for an angry rejection, but for salvation 
by our master, Jesus Christ. He died for us, a death that triggered life. Whether we're awake with the living or asleep with the dead, we are alive with God. So speak encouraging words to one another. Build up hope so that you'll all be together in this. No one left out. No one left behind. Guys, I say it again. We have to get this part right. It, it matters. It is the heart of God. Seeing people, loving people, noticing people, filling in the gap, interceding when people are too weak to raise their hands. It matters. There is too much on the line. Families, marriages, futures, people who are willing, willing to walk away from the church because they've just never, I, I just don't get it. It's just too hard. It matters. And I think we see that and we get that. 